welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we discuss an issue that is gaining attention in the state of Virginia, the battle between parents and state officials over the admission process to merit-based high schools in the region. The families who are protesting changes to the rigorous testing required at these high schools have been met with much hostility, and one parent, Azra Nomani, is joining us to talk about just that. Azra Nomani is a co-founder of Coalition for TJ, a citizens group of parents, students, alumni, and community members fighting to preserve the values of the American dream at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, where her son is a student. Azra is a former Wall Street Journal reporter who believes firmly in a founding principle she learned as a journalist, think critically and challenge conventional wisdom. She has found herself on the side of many unconventional positions, and she has courageously advocated for women's rights. Finally, she is leading the Pearl Project, which is seeking justice for Wall Street Journal reporter Daniel Pearl as Pakistani judges decide whether to free four men convicted in the reporter's brutal 2002 kidnapping and murder. Azra, it is a pleasure to have you on She Thinks today. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Beverly. Any any conversation that begins with she thinks is going to be a winner. <laughs> well, I am very interested to know what you think about what is going on in your son's school. Now, I do follow you on Twitter, so I have seen your tweets. I've been following this a bit, but just for the sake of kind of backing up and telling us the whole story, tell us about the school that your son goes to, what that school has been known for, and what changes have been instituted that you've been fighting against. Oh, absolutely. And since you follow me on Twitter, you know my my sleeping habits too, right? Three yes, in the morning. Exactly. I'm up at seven in, in the, the morning, morning quite often. <laughs> exactly. We it's it's as if during coronavirus we just roll right out of bed into work, right? Exactly. Um, but at least we are working and at least we're healthy. So I'm happy for that and and and, and you know, grateful. But you know, Beverly, so I'm a mom, just like so many of your listeners. And I'm also a working mom. So for, you know, 30-some years, I've been a journalist. Little did I imagine that I would have to turn my investigative eye toward my son's school. I've um, been a Fairfax County, Virginia mother since my son was in kindergarten. We moved to Fairfax County, which, um, if everybody doesn't know, is right outside of the nation's capital. It's considered one of the best school districts. And my, I'm a single mother. I've raised my son all by myself with the immense help and, um, and love of my parents. And like any parent, tried to keep him on the straight and narrow and make sure that, you know, I would um, stoke all of his passions. And, and those passions included robotics and math and science. And so in Fairfax County, Virginia, we have the school called Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. It was created in 1985 in the midst of America's you know, drive to beat the Soviets, right, in, in science and technology. And it became the premier high school in America over 35 years, number one on U.S. News and World Report's rankings. So you have to gain admission in eighth grade through a test. It's a science and math test. There's a reading component to it. And then you move on to a second round after you hit a certain bar, and they include teacher recommendations, GPA. But it's it's amazing because it is race-blind and merit-based. And the race issue enters into it because 
what's happened in Fairfax County demographics is that the number of students at TJ has dramatically shifted since the 80s so that today we have 70% Asian students, 20% white students, and 10% black, Hispanic, and multiracial students. Um, my son is one of those Asian students. We, I was born in India, uh, and he is our first-generation American here in the United States. Um, I was When I walked in for the first time, I felt like I might have been back in a shopping you know, plaza in Delhi, uh, because there were so many parents from India. There was sugarcane juice at a back-to-school night, uh, biryani, if anybody knows that, meat and rice dish that we oftentimes have at weddings, rich diversity. But unfortunately, we are on the wrong side of brown for our educrats and our policymakers in Virginia. Well, let's let's get into that a little bit. So what exactly are the proposed changes and have these changes been made and who is behind these changes? Who is calling for changes to what you said has been a premier school since 1985? Well, for many years, there's been this issue of underrepresentation of black and Hispanic students at TJ. It, it's a concern of mine also. I would love to see increased diversity from those groups But what we have in Fairfax County, like a lot of school districts around the country, is a failure to educate students of those underrepresented minorities at even the elementary school level. So that in Fairfax County, for example, reading comprehension in some of the schools with predominantly black students is at 50-something percent versus 80 percent in communities where there might be mostly white or Asian students. And so they call it the achievement gap, right? And it it has to be closed, absolutely. But the problem is that we have these folks in Richmond, namely an education secretary named Atif Carney, and then a superintendent in Fairfax County, a man by the name of Scott Braybrand, who have come together with the 12 members of the Fairfax County School Board who have all been elected on the Democratic slate, and then an activist alumni network of minority number of activists, but very vocal, very aggressive, and then an activist principal also at TJ. And they have come together over these last months to put our admissions policy uh, in their crosshairs. And what that has actually meant is that Our Asian students and our mostly immigrant families have been in the crosshairs of this race war. And, and you know, like, it's so disturbing to me because I know these families. My son is now a senior, so I could easily walk away from this debacle. I mean, who wants to get into, like, this, this, like, problem, right, at at your son's school? It's such such a nightmare. But I care about the values of America, the values that helped our family move forward in this country. Um, you know, like my our story is like so many of the families there. My dad came here in the 1960s with my mom to study for his PhD. We were living in poverty. The, when we turn on the lights, you know, at night to get a glass of water, we'd always stop in order to make sure the cockroaches ran away and hid into their little corners. I was a free and reduced 
uh, lunch kid, English as second language. And um, Nancy Drew became my best friend, and that's how I learned to read. Uh, you know, so this is this is America, and and my mother got her college degree in the United States. We moved to Morgantown, West Virginia, and I ended up going to West Virginia University, coming um, and you know being able to like imagine like English as second language kid, right? And then I get to work at the Wall Street Journal at the age of 23, like writing this premier flagship newspaper covering, you know, the titans of industry and, and politics and, and lobbying. And, and that's America. That's the beauty of America. It just works so hard. And, and, um, and, and that's what we reward is hard work. But that's what these families are. They're, they fled, uh, communist regime they lived through the in china they fled the communist regimes in eastern europe like our our white families that are at tj are many of them immigrant families that have come from eastern european countries you know these former soviet republic nations we have a mom yuyan who marched in tiananmen square against the repression there and what happened is in june in response to the new, you know, heightened awareness about racial issues in this country, we got a letter from our principal telling us that we needed to all examine our privileges. And I just thought to myself, oh my gosh, like, do you even know us? Like, do you even know that each one of us has our own story and our own journey? And that's what really just uh, offended me and, and hurt me, uh, you know, because at a time when they talk about don't make, caric- don't make caricatures and stereotypes about people, here was a, a caricature being made now of our Asian immigrant families, and, and it's just gone downhill from there. It's just been a nightmare to live through over these last months. I can't even tell you how hurt and really traumatizing this experience has been to see our families under attack from um, policymakers who don't even see us as human beings anymore. We're just the wrong statistics for them. And I want to get into some of the pushback, and that's to put it very mildly uh, in comparison to to what you've actually faced. I want to get into that, but before I do, I want to play devil's advocate just a little bit. What do you say to those who make the claim that this, the changing the school admissions process is only about making it more inclusive, that when you can allow more minority students who are black or Hispanic into a school like this, they're going to rise to the challenge, that being around other students who are there because of their scholastics, that that will help the other students who maybe get a scholarship to go there, or maybe um, based on their socioeconomical status, they were able to get in. What do you say to those people who think this is going to help the students that you say actually do need help, that we need to figure out how to close that gap? Yeah, I mean, we absolutely want to see more students come in to succeed um, from the underrepresented uh, minority groups and and the uh, socioeconomic groups. Absolutely. The important um, you know, word there is we want to see them succeed. Um, what what is happening, unfortunately, is that the superintendent and the school board have come up with this unbelievable idea to replace the merit-based race-blind admissions test with a lottery. So they're going to have a, this minimum 3.5 GPA that you have to 
uh, have in order to enter into the pool. And then, you know, a couple other things that they've tacked in onto that to make it seem as if they're really going for the uh, academically advanced kids. But the pool is going to be thousands of kids. And when you pick their names in out of a lottery or just their other option is this kind of uh, euphemism they call a hybrid plan, which is just kind of like guesswork on who you want to select to have coming to the school, you're actually not going to make sure that the kids are at that academic level that they need to be to start freshman math at TJ. The requirement right now is Algebra 1, but most kids have taken geometry. And by um, you know freshman year, they're taking research statistics that I took in grad school. By sophomore, junior year, they're taking calculus. Some of them are taking multivariable calculus. And, and you know, to be devil's advocate, too, some people would say, like, oh, like, why do you have to push kids so far? But these are, there's this whole category of kids that are called gifted learners, which, you know, has become a dirty word in some circles. But just like we think of folks that are special ed kids that are developmentally disabled, there are kids on the other end of the spectrum that are academically advanced, you know, higher in processing and, and faster in processing that are at-risk kids, too, in our school systems. Those kids will be the ones that maybe drop out because, you know, other kids will... I mean, I was that kid where I was always raising my hand, right? Like, I have another question. I have another question. And you don't sort of get the social cue that, hey, nobody else wants to hear your question anymore. So... Definitely, like kids that are are from all groups that kind of meet those standards should definitely be affirmed, celebrated, and and supported. What is happening, though, is this new system that they've got is just really like a a random gamble that they're they're putting kids almost like uh, numbers into this into the system in order to see if they might succeed but there's there's no um, evaluation that they're academically ready and 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 to the point of like why does it matter it, it matters because what we did as a state is we decided that we were going to invest in a school that would help to you know meet those kids that are academically advanced ready to you know create new um, new inventions by even senior year when they're doing senior lab that are going to be our innovators and engineers and, and inventors. And and it's not just, oh, I'm interested in robotics or I'm interested in science. It's that you've shown by eighth grade that you've got that skill level and that capacity. And, and so, unfortunately, they're being lazy in their solution just to look good. And that is not going to serve any of these kids well. That's what we're really worried about also is that what they're trying to do is basically look good at a time when it is the politically correct thing to do, but their solutions are just going to fail these kids also. Well, the result of this is going to be that the academics aren't going to be as rigorous as they have been if you need to teach in a way so that those who aren't as gifted are 
able to succeed as well. So you're going to see the standard go down, which leads me to my next question, which is, I'm curious, what has your son said about this? Like you said, he's a senior, so this isn't going to impact him as much. But what have his fellow classmates said? What do other parents say? I'm assuming you have a, a lot of support behind you in speaking out against this. Yeah, we have a lot of support. And, you know, this is a really important question that you're asking, because our story is just a case study in a national crisis that our country is going to have to navigate over the next years related to K-12 education. What will happen at TJ is what is happening at every other school where the um, attempt to be politically correct is meaning that we're getting rid of grades, we're getting rid of attendance as a you know, benchmark for performance at the school. And so and what what's happening in that dynamic is that if anybody stands up like we have, you're called racist or you're called, you know, um, intolerant. But but and and so what is happening for a lot of the kids? We're trying. We're we're just saying related to our own kids and the students there. Like, please do what you need to do to move forward in your um, in your schooling because. This is this is like the nonsense of policymakers and activists, and we don't want to distract them from their own lives and their own careers because this is um, just unbelievable to me that you know what is happening in school district after school district in the name of this concept called critical race theory, this ideology that has you know branded any system racist if you don't have equal outcome that's that's what's at stake at tj that tj being a number one school is the crown jewel of america's educational system and these activists and ideologues are trying to lay claim to this crown jewel and that's why everybody should care about what's going on at tj because it's coming to all of our school districts right it's public and high profile in fairfax county but i've heard from hundreds of parents. Now, I put a call out as a journalist to ask parents to tell me about battles that they're facing in their school districts. And Beverly, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I know you know it. I, I know most of your listeners are so aware. But people need to pay attention to their school board meetings, read the documents. When you got your child on online learning, do listen. You know, they don't want us to listen even now to what the teachers are teaching, but we have to listen because this critical race theory, anti-racism ideology that is just another form of racism is seeping into curriculum and, and programming and even attendance reports now. Uh, so, so everybody needs to pay attention. And I quickly want to let listeners know that if you are a parent and you are concerned about what's going on in your child's school, that Independent Women's Forum has a campaign called Parents' Right to Know, which focuses on transparency in education. There is a petition that you can sign as well to show your support. You can find that on iwf.org backslash parents right to know. So do go on and sign that petition. It does help because a lot of parents are fighting an uphill battle right now. And and I want to go to that and ask you a question about what type of feedback have you received from this? What pushback? I've seen you 
you've been called a racist. I know the list goes on and on. And like you said, this wasn't something that you wanted to wade into. This wasn't something you weren't like in 2020, I want to battle COVID and deal with being called racist because of what's going on in my son's school. (laughs) I know, Beverly, like this is my son's a senior. Like we're like literally in the midst of college season, right? I'm supposed to be putting that yard sign right in our front yard, trying to think of the alternative (laughs) prom. Um, and, and it's been uh, just shocking to me because what has happened is that these policymakers, like they don't care what's happening in the trenches to our families. Um, families are divided. I've had you know, moms that I've like trusted and like loved over the last few years, like pick up the phone and call me and yell at me and, 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 you know, act as if we're not allowed to ha- like think, right? Like that's the whole point. Like, we, this she thinks like I think we think and you're allowed to have a difference of opinion and you know I, I love the program that you guys are doing parents do need to know uh, you know just as an example I filed a, a request with my uh, school district because I heard that one of the architects of critical race theory uh, you know academic by the name of Ibram Kendi had spoken to our teachers and faculty and staff and when I put in that request, I got a copy of the contract, um, $20,000 he got for one hour of a video conference wow. call. And so ask the questions. Find out how you can file Freedom of Information Act requests. Get contracts. Get the curriculum. Ask all the questions because you, des- you do deserve answers. And before we go, I do want to change topics and segue to another very important issue going on. And just a little background on this, and I mentioned this in your bio, you were a friend to Daniel Pearl. Um, You were the leading person behind the Pearl Project. You were seeking justice for Daniel Pearl, who is the Wall Street Journal reporter who was killed and beheaded in 2002. I want to talk about where things are with that. I know Pakistani judges are deciding whether to free four men convicted in that brutal kidnapping and murder. What can you tell us about Daniel Pearl and what can you tell us about where things are today? Yeah, you know, it it really, um, Danny connects to my story as an immigrant to this country. Because, you know, I told you guys that Nancy Drew was my best friend as a little girl. Right. <laughs> well, when I when I went to the Wall Street Journal, Danny became my best friend at the Journal. And Danny became my passport to American culture. I was joking about how I'm supposed to be planning my son's prom this year, right? Well, when I was uh, 18 and in high school, I wasn't allowed to go to my prom because a very conservative Muslim family that I grew up in. And when Danny learned that at, at the age of 28, we threw a party, my first party that I ever threw, and it, we called it Midsummer Night's Prom. And all the girls wore their old bridesmaids' dresses and the guys wore tuxedos, and I finally had my prom. So that was a that was the kind of guy Danny was. He was such a great guy. I mean, um, most listeners would know him, but he worked at the Wall Street Journal with me and was in Pakistan reporting these issues of extremism and militancy. And poor Danny uh, left a house that I had rented in Pakistan. Uh, waved goodbye to him with his wife Marianne uh, standing next to me, and and he's supposed to come back that night for a for a um, dinner. Marianne was making and he didn't come back and that was January 23rd 2002 and changed you know the direction of my life and and poor thing 
Danny's life was claimed then. They they killed him, these uh, militants that had grabbed him from the streets of Karachi. And that year we had um, a, a, a conviction of four men. One of the men is a man by the name of Omar Sheikh, a British Pakistani. And he and a judge in the beginning of COVID, these judges in Pakistan just decided that they were going to free the four men that had been convicted 18 years ago. And uh, it was just such a shock. We heard about it in the middle of our night here and kicked into action um, with Danny's parents, did Zoom calls, got power of attorney documents to Pakistan. And so we've rallied an incredible team to fight this in the court system in Pakistan on behalf of Danny's parents. The, the government of Pakistan is fighting the you know decision to free these men also by this court. And um, we're now in the Supreme Court. We got the cases accepted to be heard in the Supreme Court in December. And so sometime in December, we should um, hopefully have good news. But this could continue for months, if not years, because of the, you know, wheels of justice, uh, not only in Pakistan, but when to get to that Supreme Court level. But I hope everybody will, you know, keep Danny's beautiful parents and family in their prayers, because these are amazing, amazing people who not only raised an incredible son, but have continued his spirit through music and journalism and diplomacy. And, and they're still just like the, the amazing parents, joyful and, and compassionate that, um, that I got to know through their son, you know, who helped throw this prom with me so many years ago. And we will be praying for his family through this process. And for you, final question before we do sign off today, for those who not just want to help out in praying for Danny Pearl's family, but also help you out in, in your efforts in Fairfax County and what's going on with the school system there, what can people do? Yeah, please. Um, we have a website called coalitionfortj.net, N-E-T. That's our official website long story on how our adversaries stole the .org and .com uh, domain names from us. But we're fighting that, too, so don't you worry. <laughs> we're fighting every every injustice. But go, please go to coalitionfortj.net, sign our um, change.org petitions, and, and uh, support us. Join our mailing list, and we'll keep you updated. And and I'm at Asra Namani on Twitter. Please direct message me if you have any ideas, if you've got the same nonsense going on in your school district. We're, we're connecting as parents, and I love the work that you guys are doing. And that's why I wanted to talk to you all, because in the, in the dark of the night when I'm out there tweeting or when I'm getting under attack, it's your leaders that, are, that have my back. And I'll never forget that. Like, I'll always to my dying day, remember how you have always had my back. And I, I just really appreciate it because that's sisterhood, right, of, of um, people who are just working with sincerity and good intentions for this world. So I just want to thank you all for having created an organization and a network that cares about each other. Well, thank you so much for saying that and also for all the fighting you've been doing in the trenches this year. I want to also remind people once again that if you are interested in our campaign called Parents' Right to Know, do go to iwf.org, sign our petition there so that we can 
as, as a team, work on knowing what is going on in our child's school. So we thank you so much, Azra, for joining us for all that you said today, and best of luck to you as you continue your fights in the trenches. Oh, thank you, Beverly, and, and everybody that's listening, stay strong, and remember, courage is contagious. And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.